This is Paul Nobles from Ether Forum. And once again, we're here for part two of kind of the history of, of weight loss and, and fitness. Like I mentioned last time, this is really an overview. There's so many topics. We could really go into things, you know, very deeply and might at some point. Um, but the, the problem that you run into is that you sort of lose the audience. And we do have kind of this end game in mind. And so we want to kind of get you to that point. And then maybe, uh, you know, in a month or two, we can start to dive into kind of these individual type things, right? But I think, you know, as you're listening to this podcast, uh, you know, I just want you to understand that this is an overview. Um, you know, when you have the, the, the ability to look back with 2020 vision, you know, you're going to see mistakes. I know for myself, you know, with each reform, you know, we've gotten better and better over the years just because we have data, just because we have information. And, you know, this whole industry is changing drastically, but there's still a lot about the industry that is caught up in the, the, do more and eat less. And that's what we're going to really focus on on this part. So Susan, very quickly, we've already went through it. I'm sure people are consuming this um, part one, part two, part three, back to back to back. Um, tell people you know, your book, your information, and I'll give them a quick rundown of each form. So uh, thanks, Paul. Great to be here again. Uh, you can find my information in my books, uh, The Good Mood Diet, and uh, the new power eating are probably the, the two most relevant here. And um, then you can find those books at my website, drskleiner.com or drsusankleiner.com, either one. And um, you can find me on social media where I'm not terribly active, but uh, at Power Eat, Instagram and Twitter. Also, Dr. Susan Kleiner on Facebook. And, you know, very, fairly quick, I, I think if you're listening to the Eat to Perform podcast, you probably know how to, how to buy a membership at Eat to Perform. Um, but we also have our big lifetime push, you know, part of this series is based on, you know, how the evolution of, of dieting and performance eating and things of this nature is sort of at a crossroads. And we'll, we'll get into that here. But a lot of traditional dieting and even even some of the programs right now are more based on kind of a tune-up or an oil change. And we offer a lifetime membership to Eat and Perform members because we want to be able to you know, help them with the whole picture, right? And we want to honestly protect them from predatory dieting practices. And we'll get into that a little bit, but I think that a lot of people get into these relationships with, with you know, health and fitness without realizing the toll that it's taking on or their self-esteem, on their mental health. And, and, and that's really kind of an area that once we start to bring food back and, and that's the majority of the the time with your, when you would be with Eat Reform, how it really kind of changes that relationship with food without like word service, 
right? Because there's a lot of people that talk about changing your relationship with food and they're kind of talking about just eating less a lot. And so, so I think that that's really important. Okay, so the last podcast we stopped off, we were at Jack Lane um, and, and Richard Simmons. And what was interesting about, uh, so it, it's interesting, I'm gonna start with Richard Simmons because I consider myself the Richard Simmons of, of the fitness world, right? Like, <laughs> like I, don't, I don't think that a lot of people look at me and go, oh, that's, that's the ideal that I'm aspiring towards, right? The, Richard Simmons was a, an approachable figure, right? And was fine, uh, you know, making fun of himself a little bit. He's an um, entertainer. Yeah, he was an entertainer. He's also from New Orleans, so I, you know, right. um, I'm, and I'm originally from New Orleans, so I always kind of had a, an affection for him. Um, he was sort of the the butt of the joke for many years, you know, at least that's the way I remember it, to men. But to women, they had a good relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And and it'll, they liked having him in his life, in, mm-hmm. in, in their lives. And so um, when someone says, you know, I, well, no one's ever said to me, you know, you're the Richard Simmons of, of <laughs> but, but to me, it's a great comparison because, you know, when I started Eat to Perform, I had no idea who would show up at Eat to Perform. But when women started to show up, you know, I started hiring women on mass, right? Susan's with me for a reason because, you know, I don't want to be mansplaining to women, right? Mm-hmm. What it's like to need recovery. What's it's like to need more occasionally. And, and, and I feel like we've done that. That's going to be a priority, you know, for the, for the rest of our lives. But, but, you know, one thing I want everybody to understand is that, you know, and this this sounds maybe silly to some people, but when we start talking about some of these big corporate companies with, you know, three billion dollar market caps and things of this nature, I feel like we'll be competitive with some of these people over time with just a alternative point of view, right? As we're talking about like Weight Watchers or 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 um, Noom or uh, Beachbody or uh, Peloton or CrossFit, what you will see is that there is this narrative of eating less and beating the shit out of yourself, right, for, <laughs> for weight loss. And I, I love that because it gives me like this great lane for what the science actually says. The science actually does not say that it's better to eat less all the time. It does not say that you should beat yourself up, you know, to burn calories. In fact, it says the exact opposite in both instances and no one's telling you that story. And we started telling that story and all of a sudden 1.5 million people showed up, right? (laughs) And I attribute that a lot to the Richard Simmons aspect, right? Now, you know, Richard Simmons was never, you know, eat packed up or things of this nature. I, I don't even really remember much about his view on nutrition, but just looking at, you know, kind of the way that 
he was able to be confident um, in in his his body image. That's something that I think we should all aspire towards. And I and I I'm certain that there have always been moments where you know, look, you cannot be doing what I do or Susan does talking to millions of people without wondering how you look in the camera, right? Or without wondering about, you know, ooh, I really wouldn't want that that picture to show up on the internet. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did a series actually on my weight loss over the course of 20 years. And I, I, I took every, uh, I, I gave a good sample size of, of the pictures. But I took a lot of, I uploaded a lot of the pictures that most people would delete. Mm -hmm. And because I wanted people to know what that looked like. And I, I just don't think that, you know, most of the internet kind of works that way. And, you know, when you contrast Richard Simmons to say Jack Lane, you know, Jack Lane, once again, didn't come into it with this idea that, He's going to harm people, right? But the idea of, of, you know, doing more and eating less was certainly a narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about kind of that early piece of, of fitness and, and maybe a little bit of how it's evolved? Well, because that would be fun. So the, you know, the world of bodybuilding uh, was really... So it wasn't just a subculture, it was subterranean. I mean, nobody really understood, nobody, you know, in the, in the greater public, it was not something that was watched as a sport. It, it was unknown. You know, we had, we had football, we had football leagues. People were, we knew people were weightlifting to do that. We knew that there was weightlifting competitions uh, Olympic weightlifting competitions. Uh, and those guys were big, uh, you know, um, restrictive dieting would come into play even then because they had weight classes, but nobody even ever talked about that. The general public didn't really understand or know anything about that. Uh, then sort of big time wrestling started. And, and, and that was around the time that Jack LaLanne starts to or maybe Jack LaLanne is a little earlier, but Jack LaLanne comes out of the bodybuilding world. And, and so um, there's an understanding that you have to fuel your exercise, but that to get ripped and cut and be sort of camera ready, even then, that you needed to eat a more restrictive style. And that that's what people were seeing. Um, even though he was also doing an amazing job of promoting strength training and bringing it into people's homes and make and normalizing it, in other words, and for women, because his wife was doing it too. It was critically important. But, but in the same vein came with it this subculture of, um, of an idealized body type, which we really had not seen before. Um, you know, maybe in, in, in paintings of Adonis, but that was a God, you know, we didn't, we didn't as a nation have a, 
a human physical image in our minds of what we should aspire to. And, and that is a little bit of the beginning, I think, of giving us this idealized image, even though if you look at his wife today, she's very curvy. She's, she's just, she was just a beautiful, you know, both of them, their images are beautiful. And like I said, what they were really promoting, physical fitness and health was so wonderful. Um, however, it put this picture in our mind's eye of what, of what we all should aspire to, to look like. And that's impossible. Yeah, and the next evolution obviously would be Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Where, you know, he kind of came next. And, you know, I say this a lot, and I know there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast and that, uh, you know, both Susan and I have a really good understanding of bodybuilding and work with bodybuilders and fitness competitors. Um, and I'm not saying this flippantly, uh, but the first person that walks out of that world with a good relationship with food, I have not met yet, right? Like it is notorious for chewing people up and spitting them out. And the difficult part about bodybuilding is that bodybuilding, one, is, is kind of like this misnomer. It's really like people that diet all the time and they don't really focus on the bodybuilding part. Like early on when I was actually hiring, you know, PhDs to help me and things of this nature, I had to, I had to actively say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm really trying to, you know, the weight loss is coming right with the activity, you know, things, things are sort of working, but not because of, I was trying to burn calories or anything like that. You know, gradually as I started to work on physical fitness, my nutrition intervention just kind of happened, right? As a result. And so the world being interested in Paul Nobles and what I have to say, you know, really happened from kind of an opposite point of view. Like you will see narratives related to bodybuilding where you have these people eating 10,000 calories and things of this nature, those videos get like a couple thousand views or something of this nature. The really restrictive dieting stuff gets millions of views. So they know where the money is made. And so they just point in that direction. Also in terms of like Jack Lane and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, within the bodybuilding community, you know, um, using supplements is accepted, right? It's something that is actually very normal. And some of that I think is actually kind of interesting from an aging standpoint where it can potentially be helpful. But obviously when you start competing for millions of dollars, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you have now created an incentive and then now once certain men and women see those body ideals, you know, they aspire towards them and it doesn't always represent itself in healthy ways. Like in the case of CrossFit, as an example, great example of something that gets people active, 
Um, I still go to CrossFit a couple days a week. In fact, I'm going to CrossFit today, you know. Um, but there's an obsession subculture within CrossFit um, that they're actively working against of this body ideal, right? Because the CrossFit games is a great way to get people interested in CrossFit and things of this nature. But once again, they know the people with abs get shared more and the, the, the people that are older or whatever don't get any likes. They don't get any comments, you know, and social media is not great for that. And part of the reason why it's not great for, great for that has its basis in kind of these early worlds, right? right? Where, where we just didn't know what we didn't know about mm-hmm. recovery and things of that nature. So you're right. So just as we're, you know, starting to push this, this, you know, in order to lose weight, eat 1200 calories a day, or even less. I mean, there was at that same time, you know, as we're getting into the sort of early 80s and mid to late 80s, early 90s, now we're into protein sparing modified fasts that used to be only used on morbidly obese people in hospitals under medical supervision the whole time. Now they're being sold out in the public and people are following a 500 calorie diet or an 800 calorie diet. At the same time, we're pushing exercise. So, at the, so we start with Jack LaLanne, we go to Richard Simmons, now the jogging right uh, movement starts and everyone wants to be running. And, and so we're telling people eat less, exercise more, a prescription for insanity, which ultimately led me way later because I, all these years, I'm staying as far away from the, the weight loss diet world as I possibly can to my clients saying, can you please write something for my significant other or my sister or my brother or my mother or my friend, somebody who isn't an athlete, because I'm only working with competitive athletes in those years, can you write something for them? And that was the beginning of the Good Mood Diet, where already I was you know, clearly in the world of the neurobiology of food, um, that was by 1998, uh, 97, I, I was working with that along with um, a, a very rapidly moving science of sports nutrition. And, and once I look at the diet world or the weight loss world at all, everything that is abhorrent about it comes to the fore. And the first thing is, you know, we're telling people to eat a diet, as, as I say in the book, in the, on the first page, I think, you know, enough calories to feed a small pigeon. And then we're telling you, you should feel plenty good enough after a full day's work, after supporting a family, doing all the responsibilities you need to have in a day. Now we want you to get up off the couch and go exercise. And that's just, that is, as I said, it, it's, it's insanity. It's a recipe for failure. And the fact that people would go off those diets, which then convinced them that they were broken, that there was something wrong with them. It was, it's, it's actually your physiology kicking in as a survival mechanism to tell you, stop this. This is not a healthy road for you. This is a, an unhealthy path. You're, this is this is just bad 
and stop it. And so you are driven to go off the diet and typically as quickly and as rapidly as possible to feed yourself fast energy. So you go to those highly palatable foods that are readily available and you are, you are on the road now into this yo-yo diet solution that people were buying into as actually ended up being probably, as, as you said in the last podcast, not the plan, but became the business model for so many of these weight loss programs where people would, would go on the diet to go off the diet to go on the diet to go off the diet and, and constantly seeking the next weight loss solution after they gained their weight. And, and, and the, so the diet world itself engaged with the public to put us in this position where nothing works. And, and that is why I love what you do at Eat to Perform because it does reflect on a different scale how we as sports nutritionists and scientists see how the body works and work with the body to promote all of the benefits that the body rep gives us and, and the solutions that are built in if we really understand biology and, and, um, and all the other programs really work against biology. Well, and, and, you know, I talked about this a little bit in the previous podcast. I don't, I don't necessarily consider myself, you know, a, um, obviously we're in a similar industry, but, but I consider Eat and Form in its own industry. I don't really feel like there's a lot of people. I mean, I talk about this with my co-founder a lot. I was like, cause we, we really want to get into, um, more advanced machine learning related to the top end of, of what people can tolerate and, and stay weight stable and, and things of this nature. Tolerate as far as calories. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, what does that look like? What does that look like for, you know, women over 50? What does that look like for women over 40? You know, what does that look like for, for athletic, 20 year olds. Um, and, and what I say to them every single time is no one is trying to be us, <laughs> right? Everyone else is chasing the less is more, you know, kind of like, like the, the cat with the, the laser light, right? They're all, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> their whole thing is, you know, just about being less and, you know, I think a lot of times we all get a little lost in what our optimal body weight is. And I think that that's a, that's a fool's errand. I think that, you know, just because you weighed 120 pounds, you know, when you were 24, doesn't mean that being, let's say 152, you know, when you're over 50, isn't the correct weight. And, and I think that the whole industry, whether, whether it tried to be that or not, right? Like, because, you know, we're going to get into it here in the third episode where I, I think that some, some of the newer stuff is harmful. Um, 
I don't know that any of these things went into it trying to be harmful. Right. But when you have consistent data that is showing you, you know, the, the one thing that I can tell you that's interesting, you know, if we're just talking about businesses growing and, and things of this nature, Eaton Form in the last two years has, has exploded. You know, we're up 700%, you know, so this is, this is the kind of hockey stick growth that, um, you know, a lot of businesses want. And, and, you know, you say, well, okay, then, then eventually you'll be able to become a competitor to some of these bigger business models who don't even know who you are at this point. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know that that's my goal. You know, I mean, my goal is to kind of find a lot of people, see if they're a good fit, and then, you know, offer them kind of this lifetime of, of care, right? Because that's, that's the business I want to be in. And so if that business ends up being a billion-dollar business, you know, that's great. I don't think it's going to change my life very much. I mean, you know, in my previous business, you know, I interacted with a lot of very wealthy people, you know, people that, that ran movie studios and, and um, you know, were, were the, like one of the first five employees of Microsoft, right? That, that kind of crowd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their life was comfortable and lavish and they often had a lot of silly expenditures, but the way that I ate and the way that I lived was a little bit less than theirs, but not so much so, right? It, it, was, it was very similar. And, and so I feel like, you know, that was like a criticism of Oprah, right? When she bought into Weight Watchers. It's like, well, you're Oprah, you have access to literally everything you know, why would you need Weight Watchers? And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of finish this podcast off with that. But I know we glanced over kind of the fitness piece, because we really just wanted to focus on how fitness used to be, and how we hope that it becomes, it used to be less is more, right? And we're hoping that it becomes more is more, right? right? But it's still not there. And it's not even close to there. And it's such a fractional piece. And I think that, you know, if we, if we can be part of exercise moving to this place, one of the things that bothers me, and I'll talk about that in the criticism in the next one, is that I think exercise is horrible for weight loss, right? Because that's not why you do it. You do it to perform better and get better and, you know, have a stronger metabolism and more muscle and all these things that are really super positive. So, so you want to feed those moments, right? And it doesn't mean that you don't work out when you um, are eating less because you actually want to be able to preserve some of the muscle that you built and, and things of this nature. There's really positive reasons why you would want to exercise, but exercising to burn calories, you know, like you're a hamster on a wheel or you're a dog that gets a treat, you know, is harmful 
And, and people walk into these relationships without thinking it's harmful. And I think one of the things when I compare myself to Richard Simmons, which by the way, not a lot of guys would be willing to do that. You know, <laughs> I consider Richard Simmons aspirational because he was approachable. He was your friend. He was the person that loved you no matter how you looked, right? Whether you liked it or not, Jack LaLanne kind of wanted you to be Jack LaLanne. And he did a lot of great things. I mean, he, he invented a lot of products that actually aided people in terms of physical fitness and some of those products. I mean, I believe he invented the leg extension. Leg extension is my favorite machine by far, right? <laughs> Um, because you, you, because of the way that you can use it. So, so that's a, a good place to stop. But I think that what, what we as people that are advocates for exercise need to, need to understand, and if you're a personal trainer listening to this, I want you to know this in particular. If you are putting yourself out there as someone to, put, to burn calories for people, you have now put a timeline on how long that cal that client is going to work with you, right? You, if you approach it from the standpoint of a lifetime solution where we're going to gradually get you better. And then, you know, for, for weight loss, we're only going to occasionally do that. I guarantee you the people that consume your products will consume them for much longer and you'd have much more success right? Trying to get someone who's eating 1200 calories that you prescribe, by the way, there's so many trainers now that are prescribing calories that really they don't know a lot about. And, and, you know, they would look at it and say, well, you know, we know that people need to eat less. You don't know their diet history. You, you know, you can ask them what they did or why they did it, but they're not going to tell you their deepest, darkest secrets in a lot of cases. And that's where kind of a lot of this stuff kind of walks through. And so I think we've done a, a good job of an overview of what the overall problem is. And now I want to kind of move into what is going to be the next podcast. So um, I'll give you the last word, Susan, if there's something that we need to address before we move on. But, but I think we covered it. I think we covered it and, and, um, and I'm looking forward to the next conversation because I know um, one of the things we're gonna talk about is a concern that I have, which is really tech companies getting into the sort of health and nutrition, you know, they, they, they're disguising it as health and nutrition and mental wellness, but really, they're not doing anything different using old formulas, old strategies uh, for weight loss. And, and, and they're, they're not even starting from the place that let's say Weight Watchers or these other places where it really was, let's try and help people based on the science and our, and our current level of knowledge. Um, and so I'm, I'm eager to have that conversation. Awesome. So we'll just stop right there and uh, hopefully you guys appreciate the next conversation as well. Talk to you later.